Clay, I can only hope that our podcast captures the raw sexual energy of Nana Visitor and whoever that guy is that plays Frankie Fingers or whatever the fuck his name is in this episode. Well, I I usually I consider myself just the the Odo part where I'm just staring at the uh, at the gyrating women <laughs> uh, <laughs> while you go off and do whatever it is you're going to do. I relate to being Odo by I always uh, at a party I walk up to a group who's laughing and then laugh awkwardly in the background yeah. as they, at their stories <laughs> that they're telling as a way to ingratiate myself. Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you very much, people, for joining us for another Star Trek podcast. And I wanted to spend a, sh- a special shout out to Jay Keys Gamer and what is it? All these worlds on Reddit who have mentioned the show and a couple of the recent uh, what's a Star Trek podcast I can listen to on Reddit. So thank you very much, guys, for listening. And now we'll play some music. Accessing library computer data. Out there, there are no saints, just people. All right, so we're up to the episode called Bada Bing, Bada Bang. It's the 15th episode of the seventh season, aired on February 24th, 1999. Written by Iris Stephen Baron Hans Beemler, as these things are wont to do. Directed by Mike Vehar. In this episode... When holographic mobsters assume control of Vic Fontaine's lounge, Bashir, O'Brien, and the others plot to run Vic's rival out of business and restore the program to normal. Here we are, Clay, to talk about bada bing, bada bang, <laughs> a great little the, the Vic Fontaine episode that we've been clamoring for. It's finally here, where we get an Ocean's Eleven mixed with Star Trek Deep Space Nine with a little bit of uh, racial uh, harmony theory sprinkled on top of it. What'd you think? Yeah. Yeah, I um, I kind of, I kind of felt like uh, Cisco for the first half of this, where I ever, this was all happening, and I'm just going, "Isn't there a war? Don't people have jobs to do at yeah, this point? Don't you have work to do?" He he did look kind of stoned in the first two scenes, though, so I don't know what's going <laughs> I on. I wish him. that uh, Cisco had kept that the entire way through instead of just awkwardly spinning it around and sort of joining the fray. I, I enjoyed the fact when he was like, "What the fuck is everyone doing? Like, what is my senior staff doing, <laughs> dicking around on the holodeck?" I always um, I always think of this episode. You know, you know when they're doing the 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 heist scene where uh, it's the Ocean's Eleven scene where all the guys are together in a big room and they're explaining via like visual imagery or flashback how this is mm-hmm. going to go down. Mm-hmm. I always imagine as they're all sitting there, like you cut to the station just under attack by Jem'Hadar as like babies yes. are getting yeah. stabbed in the heads and stuff and like phasers are fighting in the, in the, in the promenade and exactly. then they cut back to them peacefully sitting there talking about this stuff. You can't shoot Frankie. It's too dangerous. The mob could retaliate against Vic. If anything happens to Vic, his matrix will be eliminated from the program permanently. The news just keeps getting better, doesn't it? What news? Oh, nothing, sir. We're uh, talking about a hollow suite program. Vic Fontaine's hotel's just been bought by gangsters. I see. When do you plan on going back to work? Right away, sir. Yeah, I I was thinking about it the other way towards the end where where every all the crazy shit was happening. I was hoping they were going to cut to Worf just quietly reading <laughs> in his in his quarters. <laughs> That's true. Worf's not in it. Huh? Worf and Quark are the two that were left out of this. Interesting. Well, Quark Quark at least gets a great line where uh, where they they all you know do their uh, uh, dramatic walk down the hallway up into the hollow suite, and then they cut to Quark, and he goes, "Morn, I think there's something happening in the hollow suite that we don't know about." <laughs> What'd you think of this one? Um. I was a little bit on the fence when it started, uh, you know, because again, I I, I, I I feel the pressure of the end coming, and um, 
I I wonder what they're doing with a holodeck episode about saving Vic Fontaine. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, the the less successful Saving Private Ryan uh, spinoff, I suppose. Yeah, but uh, I thought it was pretty good. I thought it was a lot of fun. It was definitely. Um, it was definitely a, uh, a pressure release kind of episode where everybody was just having a good time. I smiled um, a lot. I looked like an yeah. idiot watching this on the train ride home, smiling at my phone. I did. I, I, I probably have the same opinion as you. It's like, really, this is going to happen now, but then it happens, and I won't even say it's a great episode. But I was like, you know, it, it's it's such a this is a show going out in its final year kind of episode. Like they, you could argue that this is basically the uh, the baseball episode done over I, again i was thinking that which is which is funny because as i was thinking it i was like why is why is cisco being such a dickhead about this he mm. just, he had everybody spend two weeks learning how to play baseball yeah yeah that's a good point doesn't live by uh, his own then, rules but I then suppose. he's like then he's like i'm being a dickhead about it because of a you know a legacy of institutional <laughs> racism in the united states and it's like okay well i can't really argue with that <laughs> you know i think that's a, that's a good that's a good entry because as much as I don't have a problem with that statement. However, Star Trek it feels really weird when they bluntly bring up racism like that in a mm-hmm. way that it uh, it feels like it steps out of the reality of the show because the show feels like they all exist in a universe where this is so distant of a memory that none of them can even comprehend what racism is. Right. And they've sprinkled it in before. Like they do I mean, you've got like, people in, you've got people in this country who lived through that, who are like, nobody even remembers that man. Get right. over it. Live in the now. And most of those people are usually assholes. But. Yeah. <laughs> and, and these guys are 200 years separated or 300 or whatever yeah. they are from that. And, you know, when they do things like Far Beyond the Stars, that episode where Cisco has the vision of being in 40s uh, New York or whatever, um, it works in those contexts, I think. But here, it's mostly like the uh, soliloquy nature of it. Like he really yeah. sort of talks about it. And also, it kind of ties into my problem with the episode, which is that it's a um, it's a tropey idea. Like so many movies and shows have been based around this idea that when you do something, when you have a genre show like Star Trek, when you decide to do an episode like this and sort of release a little bit of steam, if your take on it is not additive and it doesn't really add anything to the genre tropes or like put a spin on it then Mm -hmm. it it seems kind of like it seems a little bit silly in some ways or it seems like it's so cliche that the script is not really all that clever in what it's trying to do and i think that here and that ties into the cisco thing because to me when he brings up that racism thing i end up watching cassidy yates when she's talking to the cop and I'm waiting for the moment where the cop doesn't believe her because she's black, you know, to right, like shoehorn right. that in somehow to add a little bit of um, difficulty to the proceedings, because this is a very cliche, tropey thing that also doesn't have a lot of conflict in the problems that they run into. Like Esri and, spills the drink, right? And, and she's like, and oh, the no. Stakes, the What's stakes that? when you take a, the stakes when you take a step back are extremely low. <laughs> but the, the stakes are not. But even the stakes of the like, if you have a heist thing like this, the whole the whole drama of this heist is that things have to go wrong during the heist, right? Right. And the things that go wrong here remind me of like when Entourage was on HBO. The things that go wrong in Entourage are so easily fixed that you feel like it's a waste of time that it was a problem in the first place. Like Ezra right. spills the drink and Bashir's like, oh no, they exchange that oh no look. And then he just picks up a drink off another tray and goes mm-hmm. forward with it. It's not really a problem, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It, um, the uh, The racism thing felt weird, I think, because, I mean, the episode's not about that. No, and it's not. And he's, he's not... 
Cisco isn't in it enough for it to be about that. Like he's not really, he's only got those two scenes or so before he's part of the gang, you know? Yeah. And his take Um, of that, this is a waste of time seems more realistic than I don't want to go into a racist 1960s holodeck program. Yeah. I'm surprised they didn't go more with the waste of time thing. And then, you know, then Cassidy's like, remember when we played baseball for two weeks and he's like, yeah, right. I, guess, <laughs> I guess it's important to, uh, to, to, to have a good time every now and then. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's super low stakes. Um, I, I guess it's kind of fun that everybody is saving Vic Fontaine as though he was like their best friend, even though as Worf says, he's just a hologram. Yeah. Uh, Wor- Worf's, Worf's take on him is kind of my take on him, which is like, I find him mildly entertaining, but beyond I neither that, like nor dislike a- him. Yeah, I neither like nor dislike him. Um, <clears throat> I, was hoping, I was hoping at the end, uh, everybody was going to, all the bad guys were going to end up catching them in the, in the, uh, the count room. Yeah. And then Worf was just going to step in and shoot them all. Yes. Yeah. Cause I no. feel like Worf, Worf would have been the one to show up with the 45 and just shoot everybody. Yeah. The, the Tommy um, gun or something in his suit, yes. in his uh, guitar case. But, uh, but yeah, I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, it's it, the, the, I think what's missing from the Cisco racism bit is that there's not, really uh a, a a button on that issue at the end of it like there's no i mean i guess him showing up is kind of the button but like there i don't know I, or maybe the performance of ebony and ivory at the end is the is the button i don't mm, know yeah um yeah i don't know it just it just feels like they put it in there for the sake of of conflict uh, yeah, because there is there is not really any i was thinking they put it in to answer you you had the um you had brought it up in that uh, the uh, it's only a paper moon episode where Jake goes into the hologram with his girlfriend to comfort Nog, and you were like, mm-hmm. "What is it like to be these two black characters who are walking into a Vegas lounge in this period?" And no one really brings it up. Yeah. It, it feels like yeah. they mentioned it. It feels like Avery Brooks or something had a problem with it and like insisted that they insert insert this scene into it to correct for that, but yeah. it doesn't tie into the. It doesn't tie into the ending in a way to make it satisfying, and it also doesn't feel like it makes sense for Cisco to be concerned about that, where he should be more concerned about the fact that they're at war and no one is paying attention to their job because they're rescuing this imaginary character from the holodeck. Yeah, and there's no, like, I guess the button I'm thinking of is something like Cisco enjoying the power that he has in this hologram or something. Not that it has to go, like, crazy or anything, but, you know, like a... Uh, a, a moment to really push back against against the concept of race, racism in the sixties. Yeah, yeah, this is getting really heady. But you know, well, I, yeah, he, he doesn't just, have it, his what his job in the holodeck is wildly unimportant. It's like he has to spend right. money at the craps table, I guess, to cause a distraction so that people pay attention to it. But mm-hmm. that's not. that's as you're saying it doesn't have any agency in his racism storyline or it doesn't need him to do anything to stand up against the time period or anything it's just stand here play craps bet a lot of money on it right yeah yeah it's it's a little bit strange it's it's just the like i i I have fun watching it and i think that like the uh the idea is sound and everything it's like the perfect use of the cast to have this heist idea but it feels 
It's one of those things where the the script is complicated in a way because you have to come up with this sort of heist idea of how to utilize all these characters and get them involved and have everyone play a role. But at the same time, it feels a little bit underbaked in how they actually get the heist to go off. It's not that complicated for what they're trying to do. Right. I spend the entire time going like, why couldn't Odo just shapeshift under the door and go in there and strangle all the guys and take the money and walk out? Like, you're not using the changeling. Yeah. 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 Um, and also coming off of Paper Moon, in which the end of it has this big monologue by Vic Fontaine where he's like, I'm nothing. I'm just a bunch of ones and zeros. And then in this one, he's like, guys, if you don't help me, I'm gonna, he, they're going to kill me. <laughs> I like, um, before we get into Vic, I do like the fact that this, it does seem like it's a very DS9 takey on the, uh, the Hollow Suite where the crew is not like in a TNG holodeck episode, the doors would lock and the safeties would be deactivated and the crew yeah. would be in danger of dying on the holodeck. And mm-hmm. here I like it that they switch it so that DS9 is like, that's kind of a ridiculous idea. Let's just have the hologram be at risk. Like no one in the main cast is actually in any kind of danger. It's only because of Vic that they care about Vic and Vic and can have some problem that anyone cares about it. And it's not even that the program goes screwy or anything. This was baked into the program. Yeah, as it was designed that was by Felix. <laughs> or Felix or Philippe or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, yeah, I mean, it's even lower stakes than most holodeck episodes because they're actually just doing what the program is supposed to do. Yeah. 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 No, it's, um, I, I guess a good, a good way off of that kind of topic is, um, it did highlight to me why I think Vic Fontaine is kind of a strange character, uh, because I like the performance, and I like what he brings to it, and I like the general idea of how he's used. I think the performance is really good. I think the Hollow Suite idea is kind of a cool idea. However, it's um after five or six years of the cast getting to know each other, it feels really strange to me that they basically bond because of Vic Fontaine. Yeah. You know, like he, he he doesn't feel like he's the mixer character that's really necessary for this group to be close or have episodes where they realize that they're all good friends and we can have a good time or something like that. Like his right. his role feels a little bit heavy handed and really artificial, like fittingly artificial. And I find it a little bit distracting that he is the 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 reason that they always get together and realize that they're having a good time. And he he symbolizes the end of a series in a lot of ways through those actions. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess it's I guess it's one of those things where you, when you actually look at the interactions they've had with him. I mean, they kind of go down the line in this episode talking about how he's impacted each one of their lives and they're not wrong. Until well, <laughs> until they get to Esri and she's like, "Yeah, I think he's cool too." <laughs> I have memories uh, of him being cool to me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Nog is like, "He told me how to continue my life after my leg got blown <laughs> off." And Kira's <laughs> like, "She introduced he introduced me to my husband." And then yeah. Esri's like, "Yeah, I think he's swell." Yeah. yeah. Um <laughs> Cisco gets to sing with him. All the good stuff. Yeah, yeah. Which uh, I thought, for some reason, I thought at that scene that they were going to do a thing where it's like, oh, he actually goes into Vix all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, one of those bits. Yep. But they didn't do that. No. Um, but yeah, it, like I, it, it very much seems like uh, everybody rallying around to save the family dog. Yeah. Did, did did it stick out to you, or does it does it bother you? Yeah. It, it kind of bothers me. I think I, I know what you're saying. I, I I definitely understand what you're saying, but Vic, Vic is so. I mean, it, it is such a low step. Think of Vic like the card game, you know. And I guess it's it's not exactly like a one to one with the card game from TNG because that was going on for much longer. Yeah. 
Um, but the card but game also like requires the characters to interact with each. It's just a that's true a that's mechanism. True. It's not like the personality is the cards don't have a personality that is driving this kind of connection that you think already yeah, exists. Yeah, in this case, in this case, it's kind of like you know you live in you live in an apartment with five other roommates and uh, everybody watches the TV. Yeah, and then the TV breaks, and they're like, "Guys, we have to get a new TV because <laughs> we all we all love that TV." <laughs> right? What are we going to do? Talk to each other? Yeah, I, I, I. It's tough because I, I, I think he, in a lot of ways, he symbolizes where DS Nine stands at the end or halfway through its seventh season, where it almost it almost feels like it doesn't know how it wants to end the series and when you when you compare it to something like TNG it does feel like they're just kind of treading water to get to the end here but at the same time mm-hmm. you think they should have a little bit more to say about the characters and i like the the setup and the bones of this episode are very good but vic really i i don't i don't dislike vic but i think that I don't know. It just it, he really it strikes me as strange that all of a sudden he's popped up and the crew have glommed onto him in this yeah. very fascinating way where you know, it's not like he's Guinan, you know? It's not it's not like he's dispensing uh the wisdom of the universe. He's he's shilling out like schlocky Las Vegas dialogue that yeah. people read into too much and unlock the secrets of their soul for some reason. <laughs> right. You know, it's yeah. It's it's not like it's not like it's it's the 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 prized counselor that everybody goes to or so it's it is kind of weird that everybody rallies around this hologram but I, I could see this a- for Guinan. Guinan makes a lot of sense. If there was an episode like this where they had to rescue Guinan in the seventh season for some reason, that feels appropriate because I think Guinan is the best comparison to Vic. Um she's the character that's most like him and mm-hmm. Guinan is more important because she rebooted the Troy role and she has, as you're saying, she has like an insight into the characters that they don't really quite realize themselves. She's just kind of the the sounding board that they go to. Yeah. Vic is a lot more of like, Vic is like the catalyst. His episode and his personality and his character are the catalyst to cause things to happen in a way that feels very strange and like you couldn't naturally write Kira and Odo getting together. You couldn't naturally write these guys bonding in some kind of situation. So he feels mm-hmm. very prominently fake in, in a in a strange way that I find distracting. Yeah, Guinan Guinan was dispensing like actual wisdom. Uh whereas Vic is essentially like a sitcom plot. Mm-hmm. And the wisdom he dispenses is like, well, you know, Sometimes you just got to put it all on red and hope that the chips fall out of your glass into your lap. Yeah, it's like, yeah, thanks, Vic. That I that that helps I do me get over the fact that I only yeah, yeah. <laughs> thanks. That now I know how to how to live my life with one leg. <laughs> yeah, it's I I think I think part of it though I think it's such a good performance oddly, is the problem. Like you understand that like he's charming enough where it makes sense that they would go to him and like him and stuff like that. That's that's the problem I'm left well, with. I don't I think I think the problem is we're equating him we're 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 actually giving him too much weight and even more weight than I think they really give him in the show because I I don't think it would it would be a one to one with like if everybody had to save guy because that actually has real stakes to it. I think it's it is just like everybody involved appreciates this program 
it has helped them out at some point in the past. He's kind of friendly. He's like a friend. Yep. Um, he, he's a he's a um, pressure break in the war, really. Like yeah, he, he's and, the episode, and, he kicks off these episodes that are the the respite from the the horrors of war in a lot of ways too. Yeah, and in the context of the episode, in the in the or in the series, in the universe of the series, I think everybody involved also understands how low stakes this actually is. Right. You know, they're having they're having fun. It's like, yeah, you know, it's it would st- it would it would stink if Vic was gone, but I'd get over it. Yeah. <laughs> um. But you know, I think that's why you know everybody's having fun. Everybody's having a good time. There's not really any any hev- any st- any heavy stuff happening. Uh, and I think that's kind of how the, the characters in the, the show are, are handling it as well. Yeah. Cause you know, it, like when you said, at, at when, even when things go wrong, it's nobody really panics or anything. It's, you know, it's just, oh, here's another drink up. Oh, I guess I'll start throwing money up in the air. Yeah. Um, it's I, also I not have like questions, Vic, not, not I have Vic questions about how they got that. Yeah. I have questions about how they got that replica safe. But didn't actually know which safe to use, uh, right? Where, those, yeah, where they where uh, Nog is practicing. You mean on the safe? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah they, well, they, <laughs> the program adapted, I guess, Philippe or Felix or whatever that guy's name is. Realized mm-hmm. that he had to put the uh, the complicated thing, complicated thing through it. They put all the uh, they the computer put all of its processing power behind screwing up their plan, and really didn't save any for whatever that reanimated corpse playing Doctor Zemo was. <laughs> <laughs> no offense to that guy, but oh boy, that, you know there's there's occasional moments, including that guy, where um, I, I thought the script did a pretty good job. Like when Kira tries to do her seduction tricks on him, and it doesn't work. I thought it was mm-hmm. was kind of a, a clever way to go about it. Like you've seen it working the entire time, and uh, Nana Visitor, I think, might be up for just sexiest female performer. In Star Trek uh, franchise, I think like um, probably people yeah. always go crazy about Seven, but uh, I don't know. Like some Nana Visitor when she's asked to do these sort of like turn it up roles, really definitely like definitely yeah. fires it up to I, eleven. Now, as someone who hasn't really watched Voyager, <clears throat> excuse me, is Seven of Nine's performance sexy, or is she just you know? It's just a the cat suit. Buxom woman in a cat suit. Yeah, it's just the woman yeah. in a cat suit. She's she's an emotionless data female data character who wears a tight uh, tight uh, skin tight clothing. Yeah, I think if you're going on like straight alluring performance, not a visitor. I think is definitely at the top. You know? Yeah, she's yeah. the only one who gets really to to move outside of the Starfleet, you know, stoic paradigm. Really. Yeah, as far as women go, most of them are fairly reserved. Yeah, or um, or sort of strangely, like a lot of the like Troy unless would occasionally there's be- a ga- unless there's a candle ghost involved, right? <laughs> Troy would be asked occasionally to sex it up, but it always came across as a little bit campy and not truly sexy because mm-hmm. it was so over the top. Yeah. Uh, Nanavis same with uh, different. Same with Tasha Yar, when she, what, that one time that she sleeps with Data. Oh, that's it's right. It's like, oh, she's in a skimpy outfit now, but she's, you know, and her hair is slicked down. Yes. And, yep. uh, but yeah, it's it's not exactly. It's not it, exactly it doesn't Jessica feel real. Rabbit. Much like Vic yeah. Fontaine, it doesn't feel like it's a true performance <laughs> of sexuality or anything like yeah. that. The, um, 
there's a few moments like I, I I would agree with you. I don't think this episode is particularly bad or anything. Like I don't really have much criticism that I'm not kind of just making up for the sake of discussion. I think that it's got a, it's got a few script problems or whatever. But I think that once they start moving through the um, the plot of the heist of what they're doing, I think all the character beats are good. I think the scenes work pretty well. This has my favorite all time favorite joke. I think out of all of Star Trek, which is uh, Miles O'Brien going strip search as he's, as he's let off. <laughs> I enjoy that for some reason. Didn't need the little button on the end. I thought that was unnecessary, but I, I liked his reading of that line and um, the the I don't want to talk about it button. Yeah, did you? Do you oh, thought you that was necessary? You can't have him. You can't have him not bring that up when he comes back yeah he's got to confirm that it actually happened i think yeah but (laughs) strip search yeah and i said that everyone gets to dress up everyone gets to wear hats and do all the uh the vegas 60s stuff that they want to do and you get a little light breather of an episode where they all bond over a song at the very end and it's pretty good my uh my favorite part in 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 by favorite i mean it was the one that made me scratch my head the most is when they all gather for the you know, let's run through the plan scene. Everybody's wearing 23rd century Starfleet casual. Yes. And they're not wearing period appropriate or they're not wearing their, uh, their Starfleet uniforms. So they, I guess they were just on leave for they that just, hour they or just something. Down. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they didn't, it's true because they're, they're wearing those, uh, like drapey loose flowery vest things that they always yeah. wear as casual wear and they're not wearing their tuxedos or anything like they're ready to from go the, into it. from the miles o'brien undercover collection that's right <laughs> you'll blend in seamlessly with the flower wallpaper that you're heading into mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah that's true i noticed that too that they were uh they're, they're not wearing they're in between worlds there of what they're choosing to wear but it's i guess it's nice to see them all letting their hair down and wonder who's uh, in charge of the station at that very moment jake i guess who's left behind <laughs> Yeah, I I would love to. I I really would. This would be a five for me if they periodically checked in on Worf and he was just doing either the most menial tasks you could possibly think of, or he was single handedly like fending off the Dominion. Yeah, I think it should should just be super cuts of him doing every other character's job. Like he's wrenching in a Jeffrey's tube. He's giving people the shots. (laughs) He's like doing command stuff. He's he's helping the Bajorans worship. I would I would really love just a shot of him reading quietly and then he just goes <laughs> and then cut back to what they're doing <laughs> as like a little uh snifter of uh, prune juice and he's got his legs yes, crossed and exactly, a smoking yes. pipe enjoying his life and on the station. Uh I think we're done talking about this one bada bing bada or, bang unless you have anything or like else you want they to say. use or they use the the cutting to wharf as to like show how miserable his life as a bachelor is now. Yeah, like yeah. he's just walking around in his underwear with old Chinese food boxes <laughs> laying everywhere and like drinking milk out of the carton. He's like <laughs> holding his batleth up to the side of his temple, and then he's like, <laughs> oh, not today. Today is not a good day to die." Yeah, no, we um. Yeah, uh, we've talked enough about the character. I, I feel like we haven't seen a lot of wharf recently since Ezra yeah, came into. I, I was wondering if he were they shooting one of the movies at this point or something or are the movies done? I don't even remember where this is in the timeline. That's a but. good. This is ninety nine. This would have been past insurrection, I think. So I, I don't think so, but I don't know for sure. Do Do you feel he's uninvolved to a point where it feels like he's not around? Kinda, yeah. He's only got like I mean this one especially, um, but he's only got one or two scenes in every episode so far. Yeah, it, it might be that might be the case of him. 
What did um? Yeah, what Worf's funny to me, and like we'll have I'm, I'm having all these thoughts because we're going to be rounding out the series soon. But Worf came in so strong in season four, mm. and he's kind of like a lot of the other characters now. He's just kind of I, I feel he's sort of in the background. I, I wonder how accurate my perception of this is because we brought it up on the Discord too about like seeing screen time for everybody and like what how mm-hmm. DS9 would compare to TNG and everything. But I just feel. I feel like people just aren't aren't around on the station or something for some reason. Even in episodes like this, where it's entirely an ensemble, it's still strange to not have Worf hanging around. And you think that Worf's negative attitude towards everything would have been a nice way to have... Like, he doesn't want to do this, but he's in it anyway. He's that character. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I mean, even up until he showed up uh, halfway through, I thought Cisco was just not going to be in this one. Right, yeah. So I thought he was just going to like... You know, go, huh, I guess nobody has jobs, and that was the last you're going to see of him or something. <laughs> they have the uh, the chewing out scene with everybody at the end, where then Cisco yells at him and then winks as they're walking out the door saying, but good job saving Vic Fontaine. <laughs> uh, I think we're done. Let's take a break. We're going to play an audio clip. We'll read some patron thoughts and give our final thoughts about Bada Bing Bada Bang. Say goodbye to Frankie Eyes. You can tell your friend Felix that we shut the lid on his jack-in-the-box. With pleasure. Ladies and gentlemen... The bubble is on me. <laughs> Thanks, Rick. Here, here. Where have you been? I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Next time you two fight the Battle of the Alamo, count me in. Coonskin cap and all. You've got it, Pally. To the best friends a hologram ever had. Here, here. Cheers. I owe you. Big time. <laughs> Cheers, Vic. Cheers. Thank you very much for listening. If you want to support the show, the best way to do that is patreon.com slash the Penske file. A couple dollars a month and you get extra stuff like podcasts and voting rights and things like that. It's very, very impressive. You can get voting rights if you sign up for our Patreon? Well, you you get the right to decide that Arnold Schwarzenegger is going to be our next... um, Oh, I thought you meant like national. I I, I was... (laughs) I was, I was wondering if I should have gone with some sort of like, yeah, some sort of voting rights thing and really drawn that out there about what Cisco was talking about. But I decided to keep it tame and contained to the uh, the real ripe and real rotten. But yeah, we're talking about Arnold because the patrons voted for it for the next real ripe. But also, if you're a Captain Tier supporter, you can get a special shout out. So special thanks go to Andrew Cherlog, Ben Douglas, Captain Quark, Cardinal Doomsday, Christian Michaels, Christian Pouch, Darth Mosk. David Beardmore, David K, Dwayne Hackett, Eric Johnson, HH2198, I see Unicorns, ERP, Joint Mango, Jordan Cooper, Kevin Reyes, Cal Barrett, Mad Courier 6, Matt Cutler, Matt Ross, Mike Burnett, Nathan Elliott, Neil Brennan, Nick Sergi, Robert Cummins, Russell Ellis, Samuel Custer, Grim Sanso, Sean Spinobi, Tark Latif, Tom Howes, Vault 13 Hero, and Will Yates. Thank you very much for supporting the show, and thank you for bringing us one step closer to complete and utter Voyager coverage. We still have a long way to go, but you guys are making it potentially possible. Uh, let's see here, Clay. Oh, I had a question. Because mm. this episode, uh, you can only choose one time-wasting ensemble lets down their hair episode. Do you take this or the baseball episode? Oh boy, um, probably. I think I enjoy this one more, but I would probably say baseball because it has a bit more of a point to it, mm-hmm. um, and it also involves everybody and isn't just. That's true. You know, Worf, Worf actually killed. He Worf did such a good job killing in that one that they had to take him out of this one because he'd steal all the scenes. Yeah, mm-hmm. I would. Um, I'd probably take this one. I guess uh, Vic isn't in the baseball episode, is he? He's not. No. Yeah, that's totally unrelated to him. So 
How did they not have him like sing the national anthem or something? Yeah, that's. that's <laughs> how did we not realize that when it was happening that Vic wasn't yeah. there singing the national anthem? I'd probably go with this one. Let's um read some patron thoughts. If you're a patron of the show and you uh, want to leave your thoughts about upcoming episodes, you do that on the post, and then we read them on the podcast. Vault thirteen hero, bada bing, bada bang. Is this the first one? Let me see here. Let me scroll up. That's 11. This is one. Vault 13 Hero says, bada bing, bada bang. Remember the Royale on TNG? Okay, so this isn't quite as bad, but Star Trek really likes to just rewrite Holodeck or Holosuite in this case rules as they see fit. I like Vic Fontaine, but this is just weird. I did like how they planned out the perfect heist, but everything after that is pretty cliche stuff and pretty forgettable. Two out of five. Zim Nuclear Wessel says, Ezri's reverse psychology on the Count Man is so good, it makes me wonder if she did the same thing to Vic in Paper Moon, telling him when it was all up to him, but knowing this would make him kick Nog out of the hollow suite. She may not counsel by the book, but she gets results, damn it. I actually, um, the, the, do you remember that scene where Ezri tries to get the guy to drink and it's a different mm-hmm. guy? So that's, that's probably peak what I'm talking about when I'm complaining about the scenes not really having a good conflict resolution right, that would make right, you go right, like, yeah. this is clever because, Break down the scene. She goes in. It's not the guy she's supposed to give the drink. She goes, do you want this drink? He says, no. She goes, okay. Uh, I guess I'm going to assume that you're just such a raging misogynist that if I try to drink your drink, you will take it from me and drink Mm -hmm. it? Like, what was... Why would that character steal the drink from her if she was going to drink it? You know, it's just kind of lazy leaping. To be fair, maybe her real plan was she was going to drink the drink and vomit all over the guy. I uh, plan to kiss on him and just give him and enough then, Ipecac or whatever that they're both shitting their brains out. In the yeah, scene. she just vomits all over him and then he has to run out and clean up. And then, <laughs> all right. Bada bing, bada. Bada bing, bada boom. I guess that's a good enough point. But that, that's my, bada that's bing, my perception blah. on the laziness. What is this? How yeah. did that jump down there? Sorry, are you saying something? Nope, I'm good. All right. Norman Buckwald says, Ocean's Eleven, for the sake of promoting Star Trek The Experience in Las Vegas, this episode and Take Me Out to the Hollow Suite seemed to make me think the producers felt their cast members needed some fun and blow-off steam episodes similar to the corporal world pursuing sports teams and Casual Fridays, which were especially in at the time. Hey, Casual Friday is never going to go out of style. Hmm. While I liked Take Me Out to the Hollow Suite less of these two, I will admit that the first one at least tried to focus on the characters and who they were in the situation. This one, it doesn't matter. You could have had the same episode almost scripted exactly the same way if the Doctor was trapped in this on Voyager. The whole gimmick of the episode is to have the heist and a lame plot reason to somehow preserve Fontaine. Uh, I do admit I have a guilty pleasure enjoying watching these types of heists, though, even Futuramas. Other than that, I would encourage you, if you haven't seen it yet, to see the original Ocean's Eleven to get the true spirit. I'll be generous and give it a two out of five. Wow. I I'm surprised how cynical everybody seems to be about the inclusion of Vic Fontaine being like a thinly veiled shill for the Star Trek experience in Las Vegas. I think it's just Norman. Norman's mentioned that a couple times, but oh, I, I think oh, he's the only him. person. Yeah. yeah, I find it strange because it's not like I don't know. I just don't feel like that's what's happening. Yeah, he's not wearing a pin or anything. To, to I think it's really just Ira Bear likes this era of yeah. stuff, and that's just the way it worked out. Yeah. I don't. Like I don't get the. Before, uh, like we said before, if there was like a, if uh, Darren, whatever his name is, was at the Star Trek Experience every night playing Vic Fontaine, maybe that would be different. Right. But it, it's not. 
It's not like it's not like the the scenes taking place in Vegas are taking place on the set of the Star Trek Experience, right? Where the scene uh, Cisco singing at the end is just live footage of him actually performing in Las Vegas. And they, and yeah, they cut, it's yeah. it's yeah. not like it's not like the Star Wars movies all of a sudden you know making references to Batu and shit because the uh, they've got the MGM yeah. you know area open up now. Yep. Point extra G. This isn't a particularly good heist story. It's not horrible, but not really all that interesting or clever. I do like that they didn't ramp up the stakes by having a holodeck malfunction. The usual safeties are offline and we're all locked in. The only thing at stake in the episode is Vic. Cisco's scene with Cassidy where he discusses 60s Vegas racism really seems like more, a lot more like Avery Brooks inserting himself into the script than anything else. 24th century Trek characters never really get into racism amongst humans, and it seems out of place. Outside of, this time, outside of his time as Benny Russell, he's never addressed anything like that. They're trying to call back to Benny Russell, I suppose. Avery Brooks obviously thinks it's important. Not that it's not important. It is just a... The characters of Star Trek are always so divorced from that kind of stuff. Like early TNG yeah. had them lecturing other people about how no one is racist anymore. So uh, when it pops up, it does feel out of place or sort of like inserted into the script. That is that is a that is an interesting difference between TNG and Deep Space Nine, where TNG is essentially taking the standpoint of we don't do that anymore. Deep Space Nine always seems to be from the standpoint of yeah, people used to do that and it was awful. Yeah. You know, it's it's an interesting uh, it, it's it's two sides of the same coin, really. But it's it's uh, there's a darker side and a uh, and a and a brighter side, I guess. Yeah, yeah. The Roddenberry perspective is uh, it's not worth talking about in this world anymore because yeah. this world is better than that. And the other the other shows are more. Um, I mean, that's just an it's an inherently limiting story device to have that like if you eliminate if you eliminate we've talked about it ad nauseum but if you eliminate conflict you're left with a tough way to write a story um ds9 got around that obviously by reverting those rules captain quark says your mileage may vary with this episode depending on how much you care about vic fontaine but a bing bada bang is reminiscent of previous holodeck centric episodes of tng and ds9 but it's an interesting twist that the malfunction is by design it's fun to watch all the characters working together during the heist Plus, it's always nice to see a character actor like Mike Starr, especially when he hits someone in the face with a Philly cheesesteak. Overall, it's a light episode with low yeah. stakes, but inoffensively so. Yep. I love that guy. He's great. He, he is good. He's very good in everything. Yeah. Yeah. Dumb and Dumber. Great um, uh, un- great Dark Horse favorite in Dumb and Dumber is that guy. And he does... Uh, gas, he- man. <laughs> How the hell do they know that I got gas? <laughs> He does great work with that cheesesteak in this one, too. It's a, he does, yeah. It, it's a really impressive Martin Scorsese-esque, uh, I'm going to shove this cheesesteak down your throat scene. Yeah. Neil Brennan. Oh, uh, sorry. I yeah, wanted to ask one quick question. The guy who plays, I think his name's like Johnny, the, the guy who, who leaves the count room to make a phone call, mm-hmm. is he on Star Trek usually in a bunch of makeup? Johnny. Let me see here. I, I his face just his face looked super familiar and it felt familiar like through a layer of makeup, like prosthetics. Uh and I thought maybe he was a guy who had who showed up a lot but always was in prosthetics and they wanted to give him a, you know, here's his actual face. Do you do you so, remember his name is Johnny? I think it's I thought I think it's Johnny. I'm not 100% sure, but I think it's Johnny. Uh the guest stars are Cassidy Yates, Mr. Zemo, Tony Cece, Frankie Eyes, Nog, replacement accountant Ryan and Al. Mm. Vic Fontaine, blonde croupier, dancer, 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 dancer. Uh let me say, you think it's Johnny? I don't see any Johnnies. 
The only reason I know the only reason I think it's Johnny is because I thought that was what Bashir says to him uh, when he's like, "Hey, Johnny, we, you got to go see what's his face, Mister." Yeah, Oz. let me let me see if I can control F Johnny Penny Johnson. That's not what I want. I'm just gonna look real quick at this replacement accountant, Mickey Finn. That sounds like a fake name. I cannot get the link to that person. So we're going to have to let the patrons or the uh, listeners fill us in on that one. I thought that guy looked familiar, but not in a uh, Star trek way. Um, he looked kind of like, I'm thinking Paul Rudd, but I don't think Paul Rudd is the appropriate uh, the comparison, but he looks similar to someone like that. I'm 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 on the page now. If I can if I can find his, his face, I'll, I'll know him by the face. So. Okay, I'll read these comments. Neil Brennan, a heist with our favorite characters? Hey, why not? What other genre would have worked well with the DS9 crew? I'm thinking a serious Cold War spy thriller, but I'm open to better suggestions. I actually thought about this. Um, I think they could have done a West Wing style episode. In what sense? Like a political political episode um, Mm -hmm. where they all play sort of modern politicians or something like that. Because I think that the DS9, like, galactic universal politics of the war and everything and the way that we talked about like how the the empires and like the cardassians and klingons are set up that you could actually set them up in a more modern sense that's playing off of like modern issues and i think it would work well it would still be thematic and appropriate mm. yeah i'm sorry my my attention is a little bit distracted <laughs> trying to find face. johnny um, i agree other, with everything you just said other genres that would have worked well um they could do like a cheers knockoff, I think. Something like that. Um Taxi. Like any kind of sitcom thing, any kind of sitcom setup, I think that this group would have worked well in a in a way that TNG wouldn't have done. Um I really think you can insert the DS9 ensemble into more genre work than you can the TNG group and have it work and make sense um and have it be effective. But I'm open to whatever everyone uh, everyone else says about it. Yeah, other other genres you could put the, this group into. Um, yeah, sitcom sitcom feels natural. Uh, I don't know CSI. I don't know <laughs> investigative work. Put put them all into an episode of Law and Order. I mean, I guess that's what the teleporting bullet episode was. Yeah, that's true. That's CSI. Bada bing, bada bang from Cal Barrett. I love this episode. It's indulgent and easily skippable, but it's so much fun as one last hurrah with the DS9 ensemble before the dark and serious final arc. Yeah, we've already had the baseball episode early in the season, but who doesn't love a good heist? And the direction of music is on point. I particularly like that it's only the lovable Vic who's in danger, rather than some silly explanation about the Holosuite's safeties being disabled. I do have questions like, why can't Ezri put the drops in the drink herself? And if Nog is just going to walk into the count room, then why can't Odo do the same instead of being his tray the whole time? But ultimately, Mm. who cares? Having a plot this silly and convoluted comes with the heist pastiche nature of the episode. The only thing missing is Jake. You'd think they'd find some use for the fuck machine's talent, but alas, it seems like O'Brien was the only (laughs) character who needed to remove some of his clothing. Also, Clay... This mm. completely destroys our argument about uh, Odo being genderless and sexless in the previous episode because he comes in and ogles the strippers on stage. <laughs> yeah, but I guess you can't really say he wouldn't ogle male strippers. That's true. Maybe he's just blown away by the show. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it was. It looked like they rehearsed for like a day at least. So 
<laughs> and I believe I believe the character his character's name was Al. And uh, to answer my own question, he has never been on Star Trek before. So okay, there we go, Al. Matthew Ross says, bada bang, bada bang, welcome to the Royale, Ocean's Eleven, and Goodfellas. Welcome back to the question of whether holograms are people. I mean, Bashir... Sorry, can I, can I jump in for one second? Because mm-hmm. I just think this is really funny. I'm on the guy's uh, IMDb page in his photo gallery. He has probably the most, the silliest photo gallery I've ever, gallery I've ever seen. Because he's got shots of him from uh, a show, and like the shows he's been on. But then he just randomly has a picture of him at a bar with Eric Clapton. and uh there's another picture it's a shot that looks like it was a photograph taken of a television screen of a sharks game and it's uh two two sharks players walking off the ice and you can see two women uh behind the uh, in the front row and it says jordan and sherry price checking out the sharks in game seven and this actor is nowhere to be seen he's not jordan price no his name is james wellington Oh, it's, there, like, it's two women, Jordan and Sherry Prince, checking uh, out the Sharks in Game Seven. <laughs> uh, unless he is the African American um, uh, uh, attendant standing behind the the bench, uh, which I don't sure. think that he is. Mm. I don't know why this picture is in his IMDb thing. This feels like something that he put up himself and just grabbed a bunch of pictures off his phone. We um. I guess we found an actor who we could get to come on the show. I suppose Prob- probably yeah. <laughs> At James Worthington or whatever he said his and name was. And he's got another one. He's got another one. He's actually in this one. Uh, James Wellington with Jerry McBride and Dewey Bundell, lead singer of America. Nice. Yeah. So I guess it's just uh, just a bunch of pictures of that. These do very much feel like pictures he put up himself. <laughs> Matt Ross says, I mean, Bashir feels Vic's ribs. I don't know if that's an autocorrect, but I guess they're simulated. Cisco says it's best. Oh, when he's giving them the medical advice. Uh, Cisco says it's best while the crew is figuring out their plan. When are you going back to work? The only scene I feel has gravitas is the conversation between Cisco and Cassidy about 1962 Vegas. But it also answers the question as to why we watch the escapism shows to imagine what could have been or could be. The whole premise runs through the Ocean's plot pretty close. We also learn that Siddig is very thin when he moves the chalkboard plan. I also question Frankie Eyes hitting on Kira. It seemed too alive and aware for a hologram, even by Vice standards. Considering the mob actors were in another mob or tough roles made it appropriate in the show self-aware of itself. I hear there's a war on, but this episode is a minor distraction. There is another picture of him actually at Game 7 uh, with the Sharks, the Kings versus the Sharks. Hockey fan. Um, yeah. But that doesn't explain why there is another picture in which he is not present. I'm sorry. I'm not listening to anything. I'm very fascinated by this guy's IMDb <laughs> picture setup. David Beermore says, This is everything I like in a fun DS9 episode. I thought it was kind of cool how the characters get involved in ways that reflect their personalities and abilities. My only negative thing about this episode is similar to Take Me Out to the Hollow Suite in that there's still a huge war going on. How does the senior staff of a strategic station have so much extra time to play around in Hollow Vegas? Regardless, it's still one of my favorite holodeck episodes. The final comment, Will Yates, Ocean's DS9, all right, it's a fun little episode. I'm so glad that for once the holodeck wasn't malfunctioning and none of the real characters were in any real danger. I love the reorchestrated title theme music for the cool walk along the promenade with everyone in costume. It was also pretty cool to see Robert O'Reilly without any makeup as the replacement accountant. Oh, is that Robert O'Reilly? I didn't realize that. Uh, Mark Lawrence did a pretty good job considering the fellow was pushing 90 at the time, but he did kind of look like he was close to the Ark of the Covenant when he, when it was opened. Uh, each character getting the screw you turn at the end 
It was just what you wanted to be, a fun caper episode. Thank you very much, patrons, for leaving your thoughts about the episodes. And now we're going to go to our final thoughts, Clay. So if you're done looking at pictures of Sharks games from the the past, mm. what are you going to give this episode on a scale of one to five? Um, hmm. I'm actually between, I'm, I'm like, I think I'm a high three. I, I don't know. I kind of want to go four, but I don't think I should go four. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to say a high three. Yep. I'm going to give it a three as well. Um, it's a three, but it's better than the Hollow Suite, th- uh, the Take Me Out to the Hollow Suite three, I think. I I like this one, um, but I just don't, you know, it's a, it's a reward for getting to the end of the series, really. And the, whether or not you consider it that much of a reward is on you, I suppose. But I think it's a pretty... Um, a pretty solid episode of the show that just kind of hovers in the middle and it's not really, you don't need to need to watch it. You don't, you know, if you're invested in the show, you can watch it, but you don't have to. It's that kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Threes yeah, all around. A lot of patrons thought two though, which is kind of, uh, yeah, I was a little surprised. I mean, it's not, I don't know. I mean, I'm usually feel like I'm usually harder on the ones that seem like they shouldn't. They're, they're kind of don't belong, but, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I find I'm surprised that you can watch this one and not have a good time with it. But then again, a lot of those twos had caveats that were like, it's not to say that I didn't watch this and really have a good time with it. Yeah. I just think it's a two. It's like, well, okay. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah, this one's just, it's, you know, this one's a, it's a pullback from that other episode we were just talking about. It's fully functional, I think. It's just whether or not it, it swings for you, I suppose, is the uh, the caveat to it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I. Season 7 of DS9 is kind of weird at this point. Um, you wonder how much of it is just like waiting for the the final closeout to happen. And this mm-hmm. is like we're one episode away from it at this point. Um, so maybe it's just kind of the pressure of getting there and stuff like that. But yeah, do you... Um, I, I can't remember if I asked you this before about... Do you, do you feel that TNG had a different season seven as much as you remember season seven of, D- of TNG and how you felt while you were watching those episodes? Um, from what I remember, I honestly, I don't, I, I, I remember season seven not being good. Yeah. I mean, we didn't, um, we had a lot of episodes where just saying like, it feels like the show is out of gas at that point and that no one was, the episodes are not particularly good until the finale and everything. But yeah, it's just different. I guess we'll have more to say once uh, season seven of DS Nine actually wraps up. But it's been it's been a strange little little trip through the early part of it, anyway. Mm. All right, guys, we're done. Thank you very much for listening. If you want to support the show, patreon.com slash the Penske file is the best way to do it. A couple dollars a month, extra stuff. Otherwise, all the social media links are down below. Twitter, Facebook, Discord. If you want to join the conversation, Instagram, blah blah blah. I think that's it. You can buy a T-shirt. There's a T-shirt link. That's all good stuff. If you don't want to support us on Patreon, the second best way to do it is a t-shirt. You wear it with pride. Put on your best lounge jacket and go crooning with Vic Fontaine <laughs> while wearing his t-shirt. You Clay, can anything get, you want to say? You can get the uh, I Never Said That shirt, and when people ask you about it, give them much a much longer explanation than they were bargaining for. That's right. That's right. You, <laughs> the shirt invites conversation, I should just say. Uh, do you have anything you want to say? Uh, are we done? Um, I don't think so. Um, keep your keep your ears open for a horror podcast we're doing. Uh, I'll be doing with Amanda, who joined us on Real Ripe and Real Rotten. That'll be starting uh, early next year. And we'll be back with Bat-Ass Season 3 at some point. And uh, I think that's about it. Yeah, that's it for me, too. Guys, thank you very much for listening. Much appreciated. We are going to be back 
with the next episode, which I have to look up because I do not want to say the name incorrectly because it is it is apparently wrong in the production order. Inter Arma Enum Silent Legas is the episode. Excuse me? That's right. We'll be back with that one. And uh, I think Darren is going to join us for that. It was scheduled to be that way, but he'll be the final guest on this season. And um, that's not confirmed, so it could all blow up in my face, but we'll see. Anyway, we'll see you in a couple days with Inter Arma Enum Silent Legas. See ya. See ya.